If you would please take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Just going to look at really uh, a couple verses uh, today. Proverbs chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are not an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, uh, lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brethren. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, this word that brings us together today. It is the reason for us getting together. A major part of reason of us getting together is to hear from this word, to see what you have said, what you have communicated to your people, to uh, then evaluate our own lives and in response to this and apply it to our lives. May we do just that. Father, I pray that you administer your word to our hearts today through the Holy Spirit. Give us clarity, give us understanding, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what you like and dislike, really, but what you like says a lot about you. It it kind of begins to define who you are. You may, maybe the way we get to know people is to, we ask them what they like and what they don't like. When you say what you like, that begins to expand into what you hate because there's an opposite. If you like something, you're going to usually hate the opposite and it becomes what you dislike. For example, if I love my family, if I love my wife and children, I'm going to hate anything that would bring harm to them. If we like free market, we're going to hate or dislike government oversight and regulations on that free market. Let's just go to the ridiculous. If we like ice cream, I like ice cream. I'm going to hate anything that separates me from my ice cream, right? If I love my F-150, I'm going to hate rust and the sin that brought rust into this world. And so we like and we dislike, and those things say a lot about us. Now, there are things that God likes, things that God loves. God loves righteousness. Therefore, he's going to hate what? He's going to hate unrighteousness. He's going to hate sin. The Bible calls it lawlessness. And a relationship, when you have a relationship with God, then that causes a believer to begin to desire, at least, to put off those things that God hates and put on those things that God likes. And the more intimate we become with God, the more sensitive we become to what He likes and what He dislikes. And so it's good for us to know what God likes and what God hates. Our value system must take, uh, must uh, reflect God's value system. And we call that sanctification. When those two come together, when we begin to see what God hates, what God likes, we line up our lives with that, and that's sanctification. It's just part of the sanctification process. And in this passage, Solomon gives us really the most succinct um, passage in the whole of Scripture of what God hates. This is what God hates. 
There's seven things. He says six things that God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, that's just a catchy way to get your attention. Six, he starts off with six. Now, he's, he knows he's going to seven, but he's getting your attention here. He's not trying to give the idea that these are all the things that God hates. We know that there's other things that God This is an exhaustive list, but he gives us a, a numeric device here. helps us memorize these things a little easier and gets our attention. And these are things that are important. And he starts, uh, these are, the first five are related to the body. And he correlates them with moral character, pride and deceit and violence and those kinds of things. And he associates them with body parts. And he starts with the head, with the the tongue to be specific, or with the eyes. And then the tongue and then the hands and then the heart and the feet. And he moves down the body. Starts from the top and goes down. And these body parts relate to the sin that that body part commits. And there's a correlation there. Again, it's for... For us to be able to remember remember what God hates. And the last two things, there's seven of them. The first I have to do with the body. The second two have to do with, they're really more in the judicial, the governmental setting. And there's two characters that God hates. The false witness and the troublemaker. And we'll look at those next week. But these are things that God hates. That strong language. It's not that he just doesn't like it uh, or he's, he's just a little unhappy with it. No, he says this is an abomination. This disgusts him. It is something that he detests. He abhors this. And, and it's more than just our idea of, well, we don't like something. Or we, we may hate something or we love something like uh, you know, like a, I love ice cream and I hate anything that separates me from my ice cream, right? But I'm not going to take a bullet for ice cream, okay? And that's pretty strong word, love ice cream. And, and we, you know what I'm talking about there. I, I love my F-150 and I hate the slow death that I see in my F-150. But I'm not going to take a, a bullet for my F-150. And what's the difference Let me try to illustrate this. I love my wife and I love my kids. And I will take a bullet for my kids. Now, what's the difference? It's conviction. The more I love something, the more I'm going to hate its opposite, right? You understand that. You you get the point there. And we call that conviction. It's conviction. Because it touches me to the very core of who I am. And... If I love the word of God, if I say I love God's word, I'm going to hate anything that distorts that word. And I take that as a conviction that becomes who I am. And I and I'm willing to stand and take pressure and persecution even for those things. It's it's a strong hate, we might say, strongly hated. And that's the idea here. He strongly hates these things. It touches God to his very core of who he really is. And you say, well, who, you know, who really cares? I mean, we all have things that we like and dislike. You know, well, God, uh, God likes things and he doesn't like things and we like things and we don't like things. And, you know, so what's the big deal? Look at verse 16. This is six things that the Lord hates. Six things that the Lord hates. 
The word Lord there is in all capital letters. If you have a a good translation, a good translator is going to try to communicate to you that this is not just the common word for Lord. This is the word Yahweh. He is communicating here that this is the God of creation. This is the God, the name for God that Moses gave us. His character is seen throughout the Old Testament. He is the God who sustains us. He's the God who has been gracious to us. He created us. And he is a God who does not change. Our emotions, our likes and dislikes, we may, they may change. Now, I loved moon pies when I was growing up, right? You like moon pies. I had a moon pie the other day. And, you know, it's kind of thick and it's kind of chewy. And I was like, I don't like moon pies. God doesn't change. What he liked in the Old Testament, he likes in the New Testament. He likes now. He hates things uh, today that he hated back then. He doesn't change. This is a God who doesn't change. And he sustains your very life. And those who claim to love God, we must care what he likes and what he dislikes. We must pay attention The more I live with my wife, the more I understand what she likes and what she dislikes. The more intimate we become. The 28 years that we've been married, I come to know what she really likes. And I've gotten to know her. I've gotten to know her. And we do the same thing with God. And that's the principle. That's the principle, isn't it? As believers... The the principle is, is when a believer has a true relationship with God, he will hate what God hates. Now, the question is, is then, what does God hate? What does God hate? Have you ever thought about that? He, He tells us here, there's seven things, and each one of these seven really should be a whole sermon in themselves. We'll try to get through three of them today. First of all, God hates haughty eyes, it says. Verse 17, haughty eyes. Now, these are high and lifted up, you might call it, exalted. Eyes that have been raised up. These haughty eyes are eyes that are lifted up in arrogance. The position of the eyes reflect the attitude of the heart. It's a haughty attitude. It's a haughtiness toward God that can be seen among men can be seen among men. It, it, we call it pride. In some translations, and it's not a bad translation, but they call it a proud look. I don't care for that translation because it leaves out the word eyes, and I believe those eyes are important. Eyes are important. And I want to show the Bible background for this. Here's what the Bible says. Just kind of give you, just quickly give you some of the background. It's a, it's a sin. Obviously, it's an abomination to the Lord. But I want you to notice it comes from the heart. That's the source of pride. It comes from the heart. And many times, specifically, it's self-righteousness. We know that knowledge puffs up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's the wrong kind of knowledge that puffs up in the context there. Or inexperience. You put an elder in, you put a young man in too early in the eldership, and that inexperience tends to puff him up. It gives him more responsibility than he really should be, and it tends to puff him up. It tends to add to that pride. Uh, Possession of power. Uh, Positions of power and possessions of wealth, they add to our pride many times. It causes people, pride causes people to be self-deceived. But I want you to see an example of pride. Turn over to Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 4. And and this is an illustration that you know 
But I want you to see specifically how it's used. The first part of Daniel chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar. And he is being warned by God. Nebuchadnezzar, you better be careful about your pride. He's being warned. In verse 29, though, it says, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So you get the, the context here. He was warned about his pride uh, a year later. He's forgotten those things. And here's what's happening. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the power and the glory of my majesty? While the words were in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven and saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared Sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be among the beasts of the field. His eyes were lifted up in pride. He was proud and God said, okay, I've had enough and he drives him out. You know the story. But look at the restoration here. Look in verse 34. But at the end of that period, and he's, he's just a madman. They think he's a little uh, probably crazy. I don't know what's going on with the king. He's out there eating grass. We don't know. It's kind of a little strange. And all this guy can do, look at what he, look what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my what? Eyes. Raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned toward me. He had haughty eyes. He just didn't go far enough. He raised his eyes toward heaven and his reason returned to him in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar. Now notice the context here. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who is speaking. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. First-hand experience. Perfect example. It's just a wonderful example. God hates pride and he will deal with that pride. Say, well, what do we do with pride? What do we do with it? It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to do something about it. Let's do some application here. There's essentially two worldviews today. One incorporates pride. Nietzsche, he was a philosopher in the 1800s. He declared, he's the one that declared that God is dead. And he says, we need to get rid of God. He is causing mankind to be weakened. When we put our trust in God, we're not putting our trust in ourselves and we're not, and we're just becoming weaker people. No confidence in ourselves. And he wants us to be courageous and, and it's, and we need to have that pride, essentially. But that is the very opposite of the philosophy of a believer. You have the world's philosophy. And the world is built upon that philosophy now. In fact, psychology and everything is, oh, you need to feed that pride. I think that's foolish. When we turn over to Micah, if you want to do that. Micah chapter 6 is a passage you know very well. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says this. He who he has told you, O man, what is good, this is what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's a whole philosophy of life. We are to walk humbly with our God. That's the first thing we have to see. There's a, a whole different world out there. It you know, walks to a different beating drum. We, we adhere to... 
the idea of humility and humbling ourselves before God. The world is not. They have a different philosophy. And they've based a whole worldview, a whole system of thought on this pride thinking. So number two, we have to hate pride. We have to hate pride. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 8, verse uh, uh, 13, he said, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way. This is part of the evil way, is just pride. That whole proud system, he says, and we are to, we are to hate it. We are to hate what God hates. Now, it's one thing to admit our pride. It's one thing to admit our pride. Say, oh, yeah, I, I know I'm a very proud person. But it's another thing to do something about it. We can't just acknowledge it. Yeah, it exists. It's there, boy. And we don't hate it. We tolerate it. We don't do anything with it. We don't do anything about it. So what do we do? What's the opposite of pride? It's humility. So we put on humility. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 5. And this would be a good passage to turn over to. Matthew chapter 5. You need to understand this, this passage. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first sermon that Jesus is speaking uh, to Israel. He is introducing himself as king and he is uh, explaining his kingdom. And here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You will not get into the kingdom of heaven unless you are poor in spirit. And that's essentially talking about humility. It's talking about humility. There's two Greek words in the Greek language for poverty or for for the poor. The first one you would see uh, in the story of the widow's might. You know, she she comes, she's very poor. She only has a a might to give. She puts that in. She gives all that that she has, Jesus said. And, And that's one level of poverty. But this is a different level of poverty. The word for poor here is the word that means to shrink, to pull back, to cower, to cringe. And it's the idea of, the I can't even raise my eyes up to you. All I can do is put out my hand. This is a poverty that is completely dependent upon somebody else to sustain my life. And we might call it beggarly. Beggar. A beggar. That's the kind of poverty that we are to have. That's talking about the humility in spirit. That's talking about a a dependence upon God that, folks, I think we don't recognize. I I think that, and Jesus is, is elevating it here. He says, if you don't have that kind of poverty in spirit, that kind of humility, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Say, how do we get that? We look at our own sinfulness. And our own sinfulness will drive us to that kind of poor in spirit. We look at the the debt of love that we owe God and we owe our fellow man. And we realize that we're not paying that debt. And there's no way we can pay that debt. And so the only thing that we can do, like the sinner beside the, the publican, and when he goes to the temple to pray, is beat our breast, hold out our hand. We can't even look at God. And we just say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Please, God, I beg of you for grace and for mercy. That's the kind of poverty. That's the kind of humility. God loves this kind of humility. It's a brokenness before God that we need to have. God hates pride. He hates pride. 
And Solomon here is giving us, if you begin to, you see, he starts with the eyes and he's giving us a way to examine ourselves. And you go to the doctor, the doctor's going to start someplace and he's going to begin to examine. And Solomon's saying, examine yourself. I can't know your heart. I can't know if you've got pride in your heart or not. Sometimes you can maybe see it and tell it and I can't tell if you're dealing with your pride. How is your eyes? Is your vision so full of self that you can't even see God? Is your vision so full of self that, that you are no good to others? The first step is to examine your eyes. God hates haughty eyes. Let's go to number two. Lying tongue. I think we can get this one in. A lying tongue. This is talking about deception. This is talking about distortion of the truth. Lying tongue is just telling something that's not true. It's distorting reality for my good, for my the good for, of my purpose. Refusal to even admit reality. And let me tell you, it comes naturally. <laughs> it comes naturally to all of us. We're going to preserve ourselves. You go into the room, you find the, the lamp broken. The kids are all around. They've been horse around, playing around. Who broke the lamp? Oh, he did it. Somebody else did it. Not me. It's self-preservation. This, we, we lie to preserve ourselves. Or we lie maybe on taxes. So for the money sake. We, or sometimes maybe over shame. We're thinking through the illustration last night. You, you go in, you're using the copper, maybe not this copier, but any copier if you're at work. And you jam the copier. And you just say, okay, just kind of back away, back away. Hmm, wonder who jammed the copier. I don't know who jammed the copier. And, and you're ashamed, I jammed the copier. God hates lying. And an eye sense of fire is a good example of that. God hates it. And the first step, the thing that we have to do is admit that, that we are a liar. We, do, we don't want to admit that we are a liar. Let me give you some of the Bible background. Just quickly look at these passages. Lying is an abomination to the Lord. Lying is a characteristic of Satan. Now that's pretty strong. Satan's children lie. And, they, and it comes naturally to them. Satan's children lie. It's amazing to me how Satan can just change one whole generation with the lie of evolution. With the lie of, oh, there's other resources than Scripture that, that are better than Scripture. There's other resources. Or the lying about this whole idea of self. Oh, you've got to look after yourself and you've got to promote yourself. When the Bible talks about sacrifice. Sacrificing self. And one lie, Satan, he promotes lies. You see that as the next one. But Satan promotes a certain lie. He pushes a certain lie. And a whole generation buys into it. And a whole generation is going off the wrong path. Lie crushes its victim. Lying is a hindrance to our prayers. Lying is seen from false witnesses or false teachers all the way to flattery. You say, what do we do about lying? About lying. Ephesians chapter 4 Paul uses lying as an illustration, as an illustration of the way Christians are to put off the evil things in their life and to put on the good things in their life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, the first step, the first thing that we need to do as believers is, he says, verse 25, therefore, he's given us the principle there, he's laid it all out. And now he says, lay aside falsehood. That's the first thing. And like I said, 
Most of the time, we don't even want to admit that we are liars. What happens? What do we call a person who lies? A liar. You know, and, and you probably have seen those illustrations. Are you a liar? Have you lied? Oh, yeah, I've lied. Are you a liar? Oh, no, I'm not a liar. We don't want to take on that characteristic. Although we admit, yeah, we've lied. We don't want to take on that characteristic. We have to admit. And we have to put off falsehood. Put off falsehood. And, and that comes to, to admitting. And coming to the conclusion, I'm going to put it off. No matter the cost, no matter the shame, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to put off falsehood. That's the first step. Number two, then he says... Uh, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of, uh, with his neighbor. Now, you say, well, I'm not a liar anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to not lie. But until you're speaking the truth, you're still a liar. So we're putting on, we're putting on truth telling. We're putting on, we're, we're handling the truth with accuracy, with integrity. And we become truth tellers. Truth tellers, handling the truth accurately, being careful with our words. Number three. Now, now here's where we, we need to know. Here's the principle. We speak the truth in love. We see that in verse 15. If you look back at uh, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up one another. We speak the truth in love. You see, now, there's always this, well, you put off, you renew your mind, and you put on. Well, what do you put on? The put on is speaking the truth in love. Now, speaking the truth in love. You could be one of those who say, well, I just tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. And there's a big difference between someone encouraging Someone and then someone tearing down with lies. In fact, let me show you this. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word which is good for edification. That's the principle. We stop telling lies, but we don't just stop telling lies. We renew our mind, see it the way God sees it, and we, and we begin to speak with grace. Now, I, I go and, and visit uh, a lady in the hospital. She just had a baby. And I can go in there and I can say, that is the ugliest baby I have ever seen in my life. And you know what? It might be true. It could be. Babies sometimes are not pretty. But you know what? That doesn't, that doesn't, that's not wholesome. That's not building up. Oh, it's the truth. You may go to a, a, a wedding. You say, that's the cheapest wedding I have ever seen. And you know what? Again, it might be true. It might be, it might, it might be right. But it, does it help? Does it help anyone? Does it build anyone up? That's the principle. We speak the truth in love. That's the principle. That's who we become. We're, we stop being liars and we speak, uh, we, we become those people who speak the truth in love. And that's what he says, verse 29. Let no unwholesome road proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for the edification according to the, what? Need of the moment. That's important. It's truth, truth. But I'm going to do it in love. I'm going to do it in the kindest way. 
speak the truth in love. Now, where's the key? Go back to 25. He says this. For we are members of one another. That's why we speak the truth in love. Because we're family here. We love one another. We have that environment of love. And you can kill people with the truth. You could slash people. You can hurt people with the truth. And we can be gracious with the truth as well. Because we're, we're members of one another. Now, do we speak the truth? Yes, we speak the truth. But we can be very gracious at the time. God hates lying, right? God hates lying. But He loves He loves the truth and representing reality correctly. Now, how do we apply these things? What do we do? I'm, I'm going to just stop right here. According to this clock, it's one o'clock. I've spoken for a long time. I've got to, I've got another point, but we're going to we're going to hold off on that. We need to like what God likes and hate what God hates. If we claim to be people who have a relationship with God, if we claim to be people who want to please God with their life, who want to glorify God with their life, you say, well, nobody knows the pride in my heart. And nobody knows really if I, if I lie. Those little lies, I mean, what is, what's the difference? You know, nobody knows that. You know, God knows that. There's a purification process in the believer's life that has to be there. It just has to be there. And, and, and this is the process that, that we're going through now. We're discovering what God hates, what God likes, and we are in the process of putting off those things that God hates, and we're putting on the things that God likes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for... Just the clarity of your word and the the benefit it is to our life. We can have these things worked out in our mind and they could be so so clear sometimes. But then we go out and we live like these. We've never known these principles. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to love what you love. Help us to take on your value system. May it begin to be the dominating filter of our mind that we put everything through on a daily basis do we ask the question does god love this or does god hate this lord help us to see these things and help us then to begin to look at scripture so that we can line our lives up with with what you love lord so that we can be sensitive on a daily basis to our own heart our own condition of the of our heart of not lying for preservation or for money and and not have a heart that is so arrogant and so proud that we don't see anything else. Lord, work in our hearts. We don't want to be the people that we find ourselves being and so we know we're dependent upon you for your grace to become the people that you want us to become. Become the people that we want to become. Lord, we know it's a process. I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in our lives. And we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.